Hi, welcome to A Look Behind and Rewind. I'm your host, Tom Nielsen. Being as this is the beginning of Season 2 for our podcast series, I thought I'd start things off with a little treat. Many of us baby boomers grew up in the 1950s and 60s, back in those days when life was a lot simpler. And for many of us going through the public school system, our lives were often governed by very strict teachers whose main job, it seemed, was to enforce the status quo, a sort of total conformity to all the rules and regulations they could possibly dream up at the drop of a hat. And my school, Linden High School, was no different. So, gang, to help me tell this story today, I have a special guest who was actually there when it all happened. I'm speaking with Don Kruger, a fellow alumnus of Linden High School from Linden, New Jersey who graduated around the same time that I did in that fateful year of 1970. He and I have been talking about the evolution of school dress codes during the late 1960s to early 70s. Now, Don, I understand you were the president of the Linden High Student Council during the years in question? Yeah, back in 69, 1970, that's right. Yeah. What was that like for you, serving in a leadership role in in school while the country was changing all around us? Yeah, it was quite an experience. You know, Linden, as people probably know, it's a multicultural environment back then, very diverse student population back then. And so it was divided into various groups. If I could say, you know, we had you know, the greasers, we had the hippies, we had the African-American group, we had the Jewish group. A lot of the population was Eastern Europe, Ukrainian, Polish. So we had a really mixed group of people. So it was really energetic. It was also, I call it a lower middle class blue collar town for the most part mm-hmm. um but good people the high school was spectacular in terms of the academics that we had there and the activities that we had there and we were amused by the strange principal that we had there <laughs> we took him to task many times for the kind of person that he was he tried to be you know very forceful and we just wouldn't take any of that remember this was the era of vietnam war and demonstrations and the drug counterculture and the Haight-Ashbury kind of environment that the world was working in back then. The war in Vietnam was a big deal. All of us were worried about getting drafted at the time. So it was a period of a lot of turmoil, but it was interesting. It was very, very interesting, and we took advantage of it. One of the things we did when I was president of the student council was the first ever Earth Day, Mm. and it was on my birthday. I remember April 26, 1970, and we had an assembly. And we discussed Earth Day and the reasons we should protect the Earth. And I remember speaking at that. And to this day, I'm amazed that that became such a big deal here in the U.S. today. Mm -hmm. Um, We had student demonstration against the war that went a bit awry. And we had to call the police in. And there was all kinds of turmoil. And one of my friends and I were almost expelled from the school by the principal whom we didn't like. Mm -hmm. That was not a very pleasant experience, but it was certainly a very interesting experience. And at the end of the day, neither of us got expelled. And there's a whole story behind that. I won't go into that. And then we had that dress code. So to my knowledge, Linden High School and junior high schools as well were the only secondary schools that I know of anywhere in the state of New Jersey, perhaps in the United States, that required that the boys wear ties and jackets or ties and sweaters to school every day. And when we look behind it, there was no written policy about it. Mm-hmm. It was just an understanding. I serve on a board of education right now. We have all kinds of policies that are followed. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, we had no policy. The principals said, well, this is just a custom. 
And you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, people didn't want to wear neckties. They didn't want to wear jackets. The girls were prohibited from wearing slacks, except on the coldest winter days, and they weren't allowed to wear any jeans. And they had to wear skirts, which could only be a certain length. And if they were below that certain length, students were sent home. Mm-hmm. My French teacher was even sent home for wearing <laughs> a skirt that was too short. And she was told by the principal she was not allowed to bend over in class. <laughs> he was a very attractive French teacher, so perhaps that was why he said that. Mm. But those were the rules that we had to follow. And by 1969, 70, he said, this is the era of freedom, freedom of expression. We don't want that. There's no written policy. You can't force us to do that. And so we had, I guess, a mini revolt. I don't know if you remember that. And we pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And finally, I think the principal relented. Now, I don't remember if we relented to the point where we could wear open collar shirts. I don't remember that. Mm. But I do remember he relented to the point where we could wear turtlenecks. (laughs) So we could now no longer have to wear ties and jackets, but we could wear turtlenecks. And to be honest, the ties and jackets were only required when it was not too hot because the school had no air conditioning. Mm. So if the ties were required, but if the weather was hot, we didn't have to wear the sweaters or jackets to school. And so they would say, okay, after April 15th, you no longer have to wear your sweaters and jackets, but you have to wear your ties. Mm -hmm. So we became very adept at tying neckties, that's for sure. (laughs) A lost art these days, I think, among the young people. Did you get a lot of complaints about the dress code from students? Oh, all the time, yeah. In Mm -hmm. fact, I ran on a platform. My opponent also ran on a platform getting rid of the dress code. Ah. (laughs) Um, That that was one tangible thing that we were trying to accomplish was really how much power did the student councils have at the time. Mm. Um, but that was one thing that we tried to do. We always talk about, oh, let's get better food in the cafeteria, but we had no control over any of that. Uh, <laughs> That's right, yeah. I remember the smoking lounge. People wanted to get a smoking lounge, which at that time was not very contentious. Mm. And I think they may have even gotten it. I don't quite remember because I don't smoke. But we might have had a room where you could go smoke if you wanted to at the time. Huh. You know, people were smoking back then. And there, <laughs> yeah. was no poli- there was a policy about wearing a tie and jacket, but there was no policy about not smoking as long as you didn't do it in the classroom or in the halls. Mm. Do, do you suppose any of this had a connection to what was going on elsewhere in the country at the time? What may have been some of the like, triggering events where there, like, for example, the unrest on college campuses and the takeover and, and occupation of administration buildings? Well, you know, beyond the dress code, there were a lot of things that were going on. If you remember in the schools at springtime, we would have essentially race riots in the school. Yeah. Um, where you'd have, you know, s- some of the white kids would go after some of the black kids and they'd be sitting in class and all of a sudden you'd hear glass breaking and people running down the halls and they tell us to go home early. And the next day you'd come in and you'd see the school surrounded by state police. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, so we had some of those things. Um, we had at one point, uh, a couple of students planted a fake bomb in the school. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we had the Fort Bomb bomb squad come out and <laughs> we were not allowed to go into the school for several hours while they were trying to figure out what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember those students got suspended for a few weeks. Today, they'd go to jail for doing something like that. <laughs> But that was kind of interesting. We had one student the year before that, in our junior year, blow up one of the toilets with a cherry bomb <laughs> uh, and actually wounded another student in the process of doing that. Why? 
And then we had this big student demonstration where my friend and I got, he was the head of the political science club. I was head of the student council. And there was a lot of ferment after the killing at Kent State. Mm. And so people said, well, let's do something. And we went across the street from the school to the big park across the school. And we had, I guess, about 50, 100 people in an evening ceremony there. And we had some clergy members there. Mm. And it was a very nice dem- nice discussion, prayers and discussion about war and anti-war. And one of the students who was there, suddenly, as we were ending this whole thing, started to rile up the group and said, and tomorrow, let's go before school opens and burn the flag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you had attended that. No, I don't think so. I don't remember that at all. No. Yeah. And we said, no, we can't burn the flag. Yeah, we're going to burn the flag. Let's send the word out. We're going to burn the flag tomorrow. We don't want to burn the flag. <laughs> I said, this will really create trouble because if word gets around, we had, again, the various communities. So we had the greasers and the hippies and the Jewish group and the African-American group. We were afraid that the greasers would get together and go after the hippies and the Jews and the blacks who were kind of more in the anti-war movement. Uh. And I called my principal that night. I remember it was like 6.30 at night. And I called him and I said, principal, there's going to be a demonstration tomorrow. Um, I just thought I'd let you know. and Maybe you can help us deal with this whole thing. And he said to me, I'm sorry. It's after 5 o'clock. I'm off the clock. And uh, I'm not going to get involved in this. And I said, oh, no, this is a problem. Fortunately, you know, we were kids. You know, we were 17, 18. Yeah. But we had the clergy members there. And they were adults. And they said, we'll take care of this. Mm-hmm. So they notified the police. Uh, and uh, you don't remember this? The next morning before school opened, you had like a couple hundred of the greasers and a bunch of the other group, the hippies, the Jewish kids, the African-American kids, you know, separated by the police. Mm-hmm. And the clergy members were there. They made a few prayers. The flag was not burned. <laughs> and everybody was allowed to go back to class. They all had to get late slips. <laughs> so we had several hundred students trying to enter the school, getting late slips. Came time for my buddy and I to enter the school. Principal said, no, no, you're not coming in here. You're finished here. <laughs> and I remember Kent State was late in the year, so this was June. Yeah. And we had been accepted to college. And we said, oh, my gosh, he's expelling us. <laughs> and I said, that's that's not good. I mean, we didn't really do anything illegal. We, In fact, we tried to calm the storm here. What, what he's trying to do what happens to our college admissions if we're expelled from the high school and we don't get our degrees? You know, there's concerns. And ordinarily, I would not go to my parents for help on something like this because I was pretty independent. Yeah. But my father was a city attorney. So I called him and I told him what happened. He said, oh, no, it's not possible. He can't do that. You have First Amendment rights. And my buddy and I had gone down to the police station the night before the, we had the demonstration or the day before the demonstration. And we told them we were going to have the demonstration. He said, okay, that's fine. Thank you for telling us. We didn't need a permit because it was on public property at the park and it wasn't a huge crowd that we were expecting. So we did everything that we were supposed to be doing. So my father called the principal. And my father was one of the politicians who wanted to get our principal put in as principal. And he said, listen, I helped you get this job. (laughs) What those kids do was perfectly legal, perfectly appropriate for the times. It diffused a situation which could have been become much more difficult. If you don't admit them into the school, <laughs> it can make life very difficult for you. Mm. And so he backed down and he led us into the school and we graduated. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, so uh, that's a story. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that behind the scenes uh, stuff going on. Well, of course, there are so many more interesting topics that we hadn't even touched on yet. So our conversation with Don Kruger will continue in the next episode when we'll talk about undercover narc agents, censorship of school newspapers, 
the benefits of a diverse student body, and the impact of COVID on today's students. You've been listening to A Look Behind and Rewind. I'm Tom Nielsen. See you next time on Part 2. Hi, this is Tom Nielsen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're invited to hear more of our episodes at A Look Behind and Rewind. And feel free to share our link with friends, family, and others, as well as following us on buzzsprout.com, Apple, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts.